Well, the message of my, the message of my sermon, <laughs> the title of my sermon, is simply Jesus, the first 40 days. And really, it's not so much about Jesus as it is about what some of the things Jesus and Mary and Joseph experienced. And then a couple of other key characters in those first 40 days, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. So we're going to look at this. And one of the things we constantly need to remind ourselves of is that Jesus was born into a very Jewish family. And a, as a very Jewish family, they would, have, they would follow all of the laws and all of the, the, the different things that was required of a Jewish family, of a Jewish child, a Jewish mother, when they give birth. So we're going to be looking at Luke 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 21 through 38, and I think I'm not going to read the whole thing first. We'll be reading it in, in pieces as we go through it. But we're going to be looking... <clears throat> And I want to just start with a scripture I read in Sunday school that I closed Sunday school with. I just want to read part of it. It says in Galatians 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent, God sent His Son. When the time had fully come, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So in the time had fully come, what's that mean? When it was God's perfect timing. When He decided it was time for, for Jesus to be born, for God to come in the flesh, and it would come and be born of a woman. And notice that it says, born under the law. So Jesus, until his death and resurrection, the law was in place. And taking, taking <clears throat> the, the Jewish parents, Jewish families, would still have to follow the law. And we're going to look at, very briefly really, three different ceremonies that Jesus and Mary and Joseph would have participated in. And we'll see these taking place in this first 40 days. The first one we're going to be looking at is circumcision. And it's performed on the eighth day for all the male children of Israel. The second one we're going to look at is the purification process or the purification for the woman after childbirth. And for Mary, giving birth to a child, she was considered ceremonially unclean until they would go through this this ceremony and it would be about 40 days, 40 days after the birth of her son. And then the last one of the three that we'll look at is actually the consecration of the firstborn or the dedication of the firstborn. And this dedication or consecration was to recognize the fact that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, believed that the firstborn, the firstborn male, the firstborn, belonged to the God. And we'll see some things historically where that was absolutely true. So we're going to look at these very briefly, and then our primary focus really is going to be more on the, the interaction that they have with Simeon and Anna when they get to the temple. So first of all, I'm going to read starting in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. It says simply, on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? Because that's what was commanded. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Now, most of us or many of you probably knew that the eighth day was the day of circumcision. Why did they circumcise him? to identify their entrance into the the people of God, the Hebrew people, that male circumcision. But did you know that they didn't name them and give them their name until that eighth day? 
We know that the angels declared and to Mary and Joseph, and they knew that this baby that she was going to have was going to be named Jesus. But it tells us very clearly it wasn't until the eighth day that they gave him that name. In verse 22, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, they came to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, and of two young pigeons. Verses 22 and 24. This was laid out very clearly for them in the laws that they had as a Jewish people. As I said, with childbirth, just as this during the regular cycle of the woman, the issue of blood, they were declared ceremonially unclean. And that held true for a woman when she gave birth to a child. We're not going to read all of that, but I want to read a little bit in starting, and it's actually in Leviticus chapter 12. Just listen as I read. I don't believe it's on the screen. A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. When the days of her purification for a son or a daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves and two pigeons one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now to us, this all seems kind of ridiculous. But this was the Jewish law, the Jewish culture. And every Jewish woman, after they would give birth, would go through this process. And it was supposed to be done on the 40th day. Go ahead and put up that first slide of the, of the temple. The temple area that they would go to, notice on the right-hand side it says the court of women. They would go to the court of women at the temple. And put up the second slide, and we'll maybe go back to this one. You see, about in the middle of the screen, I don't know if you can read it, it says the Nicanor Gate. They would go into the court of women, which is in front of that gate, that open area, Towards the bottom as you come in would be the Holy of Holies where they could not go, obviously. So go back to the other picture again. And this is just to give you some context of what's taking place because this is also foreign to most of us. So they, they could enter into the, the court of the women and then they could go right up to that kind of that arched gate. That would be the gate of Nicor, Nicanor. That's where they could go to. And they would give, present these sacrifices and every woman would have to go through this process. Now, if they did not live anywhere near uh, Jerusalem, they didn't even have to be there to do it. But somebody had to sacrifice these things for them. And when they would go through this process, then they would be considered ceremonially clean. And every single Jewish mother that gave birth would do this. And then the third one that we see, the third ceremony, is the presentation of the firstborn. In verses 22 and 23 that I read, it says, When the time of the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
You know, when we dedicate our children to the Lord, this is the concept that we have in mind. We are dedicating that child unto the Lord. Now, in the Jewish culture, this had a great significance based on some historical things. You can go all the way back to to Egypt during the plagues of Egypt. Notice when that last plague was put on the people of Egypt, what was it? That the firstborn of every Egyptian, livestock and people, was going to be dead. They were going to die. They were going to be destroyed. But because he had spoken to the Israel people, the Israeli people, the Jewish people, he said, take a lamb, go through this process and take some of the blood and put it over the doorposts of your door and I will pass over. Pass over who? The firstborn of the people of Israel. The firstborn of the people of Israel, the firstborn were consecrated unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. So when Jesus is born, he has come and presented and consecrated unto the Lord. Now, obviously, God did not want then or now child sacrifice. So in their legal system, there was a way to redeem that firstborn. And God actually did this in a couple of different ways. If we would look at the scriptures and take the time to go through some, we would see that there was a tribe of Levi, one of the, 12, one of the tribes of Israel, And God had said, I will take the Levites, the tribe of Levi, I will take them as a substitute for the firstborn of all the rest of Israel. They will be consecrated unto me. They will serve me. They will be my people. And then also we can read in other places where there was an offering given during the presentation of the child at the temple. And actually they would bring them to the temple. They would bring them to a priest. The priest would actually go through two different types of prayers or benedictions, and then the child would be considered dedicated unto the Lord, and there would actually be a price of a few shekels paid to dedicate them to the Lord. So Jesus would have been going through all this with Mary and Joseph the eighth day after he was born in Bethlehem. Then we're going to come on to, so just those three things, just to give us a little history, reminding us that he's a Jewish Boy, the Savior came from a Jewish family. And then he gets to the temple, and we run into a character named Simeon. And I'm going to start reading at verse 25. Now, Simeon and Anna, these two people, it appears like, at first glance, they just happen to be at the temple on the day that Jesus is being brought. Now, you can imagine... This is no ordinary baby that they're coming to dedicate unto the Lord, is it? This is Messiah. This is the Savior of the people. This is the one who has come to do God's will. I mean, he only says, I only do what you tell me to do. I only speak the words you give me to speak. He's totally holy, consecrated, righteous and holy unto God. And there's these two people that we're going to see in these verses. I'm going to start reading at verse 25 as soon as I turn to it. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, Then he took him into his arms and blessed God. 
and said. And we'll jump to that in just a minute. This man in Jerusalem. A couple things we want to notice about Simeon. First of all, it says he's a righteous man. He was a God-fearing man. He was a just man. He was very devout. Uh, obviously a follower of the law. Obviously went to the temple often to pray. It talks about him in prayer and fasting. And notice also that the Holy Spirit rests upon him. Remember, we're still under that Old Testament time frame where the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers like the, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. But we see throughout the Old Testament time that the Holy Spirit would come upon people in a supernatural way to accomplish supernatural things. And here it says the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon. Because what Simeon's recognizing and seeing, no way you would know that in the natural. Who knows how many babies, how many Jewish babies are brought to that temple every day to be dedicated. Who knows how many hundreds, thousands he has seen come to the temple over the years of his life. But all of a sudden, on this day, this old, righteous, and devout man sees this special child. And it's the Holy Spirit revealing it to him. And what he's revealing to him is the fulfillment of a promise that the Holy Spirit had made to Simeon some time ago. So the Holy Spirit is involved in this with both Simeon and we'll see also with Anna. And it says he's waiting for the Holy Spirit's promise. What was the promise? He had been anticipating this day for a long, long time. Why? Because he'd been promised. What was he promised? That he was waiting and watching for the consolation of Israel. What in the world does that mean? I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. How will I recognize it? What is it? Well, the word consolation here simply means the the encouragement, the help, the comfort of Israel. What he's looking for is the Messiah who would come to bring comfort and encouragement to the people of Israel. At this time in their history, they were under Roman rule. Historically, it was a, a wearisome, hard time for the people of God, the Jewish people. So when he says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's waiting for this one who would come to be the one to bring encouragement and relief. And it says he's eagerly looking forward to that time. Eagerly for him to come. And the promise that the Holy Spirit had made to him, in my translation that I read, it says he was waiting for the Lord's Christ. Well, that's just another way of saying the Messiah. He was waiting every day, going to that temple, We don't know how long it had been since he had received that word, that promise. And for us, this this kind of thing should encourage us in our walk. You know, we have promises of God. We have had promises of God spoken to our hearts by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, isn't just upon us. And are we looking and expecting and are we patiently waiting? I mean, can you imagine being Simeon? We know he was old, we just don't know how old. And you know he's got this amazing promise. You will not die till you see the Messiah. Just think if, if God spoke to you and I very, very clearly by the Holy Spirit and the message we heard was, Mike, you're not going to die till Jesus comes back. You're going to see it. You're going to hear the trumpet. You're going to see him coming. What would you do every morning? What would you do every day? 
Well, if we took it seriously, I'd be looking. I'd be listening. I'd be waiting. Probably very impatiently. God, is this the day? Is this the day? Is this the day? I, I don't think Simeon would act any different than that. I think he had that promise. I am sure every time a mother and her children would come walking into that temple, that he would be, is this the one? Is this the one? And finally, it says he's waiting to see this promise fulfilled. And finally, finally the Holy Spirit points it out. And it said in verse 28, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. So on this particular day, he wasn't even at the temple courts yet when the Holy Spirit came upon him. The timing. You know, he could have easily missed a child or two, right? He wasn't there 24-7. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he says, this is the day. Move, go to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon immediately knew. It says he went over. And can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Now, I don't know about you guys, but most new parents of their first child are just a little protective. And here comes this strange-looking old man and wants to take the child. i got to think Mary and Joseph were scratching their head. They've probably been scratching their head for eight days already, at least. All the things that have been going on in their life. And here comes one more thing. So the Holy Spirit is speaking. Today's the day. Today's the day. And he goes to the temple, and all of a sudden, here they come, this couple with this little baby boy. And he knows, and he walks over, and he said, it takes him the baby in his arms. And when he takes the baby in his arms, what does he do? He starts praising God. It wasn't any boy, isn't he cute? Scratching him under the chin and saying stupid things like we all do. Wow, God, this is amazing. As a matter of fact, we see his prophetic song of praise starting in verse 29. The end of verse 28, it says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, and this is what he said, Sovereign Lord. What a great way to start a song of praise. Acknowledging that he is the sovereign God. In his perfect timing, today was the day that this miracle child was coming into his life personally, much less into the world. The sovereign Lord, just as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, God, I can die now. Wow. And when you think about it, it doesn't get much better than holding the Messiah in your arms. What is there to look forward to after that one? No, he'd been waiting for the promise, and the promise was, you will see the child before you die. And he says, Sovereign Lord, took him in his arms. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And if you don't pay attention to what he said, you're, well, yeah, that was pretty neat, but what he said was mind-boggling. He prophesied things that the Jewish people had not anticipated in any way, shape, or form here. They might have understood the sovereign Lord part, But he calls him your salvation. This is, I have seen your salvation. I have seen the Messiah. 
And they were expecting a Messiah. They certainly weren't expecting him probably in the form of a baby that was only eight days old. How many of us know how helpless a little eight-day-old baby looks? And you're holding in your hand that little eight-day-old baby, and this is it. The Messiah, the Savior of the world. Have to be by the Holy Spirit. And when he looks and he says, I have seen your salvation. I just think there's so many things that are so cool in this whole story. If you were in Sunday school, you see how easily impressed I am. But I have seen your salvation. What's the name of Jesus mean in the Hebrew? Salvation. He basically said, I have seen your Jesus. I have seen your salvation. I have seen him. You've fulfilled your promise to me which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And the next line of his praise is, this is the one that a Jewish mind would not get. He says, what I've seen here is a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. He is speaking prophetically. The Jewish people were God's chosen people. The Gentiles were the pagans. They were the ungodly. And here he's prophesying as he holds his baby in his hands. I am seeing the salvation of the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at this. And we see in Luke chapter 2, if we remember the story, in verse 10 it said, I bring good news, the angels are declaring, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Simeon was being totally led by the Spirit Seeing by the Spirit, speaking by the Spirit. In Isaiah 49.6, going way back to the prophet Isaiah, he wrote, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. The story of of Jesus and the God's plan of salvation is just so amazing on so many levels, on so many fronts. And then Simon goes from that prophetic song of praise to basically prophesying to Mary. In verse 34, it says this, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child, now remember, this is a stranger. They've never met him before. And now he's going to prophesy, speaking the word of God. And he says, This child is destined to cause the following, falling and rising of many in Israel. And he will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also. When you look at Simeon's prophecy, there's four really distinct points. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. How people respond to the message of Jesus is going to determine their destiny. It was spoken that day in the temple courts by this man named Simeon as he prophesied. It's still true today. How we respond to the message of the gospel will determine our eternal destiny. Then he, promised, then he prophesied, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Boy, you don't have to know much about the Bible story to know that his own people rejected him. They spoke against him. They cursed him. He was definitely spoken against. And then it says, so that the thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed. There's going to come a day when every single person ever that's walked this earth will be held accountable and their hearts will be revealed by the judge. 
And he's saying, this, is the, this, this child of yours is going to reveal the hearts of many. And then, quite possibly, one of the most troubling things that she might have heard that day was, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. A picture of us of the death that Jesus was going to have to endure. You can only imagine a mother's heart watching her son go through the, rebu- the, the abuse, the beatings, the mockings, and then at crucifixion, piercing her soul. And then the scene jumps immediately to a little old lady. First it's Simeon, and now there's this little old lady. And this little old lady, it tells us a little bit about her, not a lot. It tells us, well, let me just read a little bit. Coming up to them at that very moment, this little old lady gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I'm going to jump back now to verse, uh, I'm not even sure what verse it is, 36. There was also a prophetess. Her name is Anna. She was the daughter, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. 84 years old. This little lady, a prayer warrior. Temple, all the time, praying, seeking God. And notice in verse 38, it says, She came up to them, and she gave thanks to God right away, and she spoke about the child to whom? To all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, how would she know that? Well, she might know in the natural a little bit from being at the temple every day, praying and fasting and talking with other people that were at the temple. But I believe, even in a greater way, once again, she was being led by the Holy Spirit. So she just didn't go off and blabbing this news to everybody. She went off and told this news and shared this good news with those whose hearts were looking for the redemption of Israel. A time when Jerusalem would be free, but prophetically a time where freedom would be made available to all mankind, freedom from sin. So when you look at these first 40 days, there is some activity. We only get glimpses of it. But I want us to see the Jewish culture, but I also want us to see mostly Simeon and Anna. Because I think for Simeon and Anna, they can give us all a lesson. They had a promise from God. They were believers who had a promise to God to look forward to. A promise that would keep them focused. A promise that was given to them by God and His Word. And it happened, had not happened yet. And we don't know how long they were waiting. We know the people of, of uh, Israel had been waiting hundreds of years for the promised Messiah. We don't know how long they had been, but for quite some time. We have a promise too. Just like Simeon and Anna. We have a promise that Jesus is in fact coming back. Any day. Just as Simeon and Anna didn't know the day, they didn't know the hour, and all of a sudden one day, the Holy Spirit says, Simeon, get to the temple, today's the day. Anna sees this baby, and in her spirit she knows this is the child. There's coming a day where that promise that we have that Jesus is coming back. They were watching. They were alert. 
They were anticipating. They were expecting. And they were excited for that to happen. And for us, it's the same way. It could happen any moment. First Thessalonians lays it out for us that, you know what? It's in the twinkling of an eye, what does that mean? How fast can you blink? He could come back that quick. We could all of a sudden hear this trumpet blast and he's here. Are we ready? Are we expecting? Are we looking for it? That's the real question to ask ourselves today from this message that we can take and apply to our lives. It's not just history that can be interesting. This is reality that we live in. Are we living as believers every day to learn more about God? Is that even our heart's desire to know God better? To know who He is, to know what His promises are, to know about His character, His attributes. Do we live every day to know Him better? Do we live every day praying? Praying for our family members. You know what? If Jesus comes back, any family member of ours that's not saved, it's too late. Are we praying for family members? Are we praying for friends? Are we praying for our communities? Are we praying for, for our state, our nation, for this world? Are we praying? If we really believe He's coming back, we ought to have the heart of God for those around us, especially the lost. And maybe as difficult as any of the rest of this is, are we living in a way that's pleasing to God and will bring Him glory? This can be a sobering thought. Are you living in a way that if all of a sudden you look to your right or your left and there was God standing beside you, are you living in a way that there would be no fear, no regret, just joy and excitement? Simeon and Anna all of a sudden were in presence of God in the flesh. Instantly, they praised God. As Christians, our lives, are we living them in a way that will bring glory and honor to God? Or are we not? Like Simeon and Anna, we should be living in an attitude of worship. You know, worship just doesn't start here at 10 o'clock and end whenever I quit talking. It's something we should walk in every day. An attitude of worship. An attitude of listening to God. Most of us would agree with this, I think. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and with me. Amen? You agree with that? Do you think He wants to speak to us? If it's an intimate relationship, He wants to speak with us. He wants us to talk to Him and He wants us to listen to Him. When's the last time you felt like you heard God speaking? Well, we might have to change our lifestyle a little bit so some of the clutter is gone so we can tune in the dial a little bit and not just hear all the garbage in the world, but hear the voice of God. And intentionally listen. As I'm getting older and older and older, I find myself leaning closer and closer to the face of the person talking to me. What'd you say? And I'm also discovering the clutter around me is more of a distraction. I can't hear through the clutter. And I know that's an old age thing. I'm coming against it in my prayer life. But, but to me, it's a picture of the way we should be with God. We need to be to, to getting closer, drawing closer to Him. We need to turn an attentive ear to Him. And, Lord, what are you saying? 
We need to remove the clutter, the static, so that we can hear him clearly. I think these are some of the lessons that we need to learn from Simeon and Anna. And maybe one of the most important lessons is simply this, and I'll close with this. Their faith never wavered. I wish we'd known how long they stayed there exactly. I don't know. But their faith never wavered. Every day. How many of you and I could go to the temple 100 days, 5 years, 12 years, 18 years, 28 years, 40 years, waiting? Come on, Holy Spirit, you told me I was going to see Him. And you're getting more old, more frail, harder to walk. Or would we just finally say, you know what, I think I just missed God. I probably didn't hear Him. We need to grab hold of the promises of God that we've got in His Word, first and foremost. And not allow our faith to waver. We sang that song about moving mountains. You know what? God will move the mountains. And most every one of us in here, if not today, tomorrow, will have a mountain in our way. And when that mountain gets in our way, what happens to our faith? We need to be like Simeon and Anna. Every day, looking waiting and expecting God to move the mountain. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy for our faith to wane. We need to be like Simeon and Anna every day. You know what, God? Your word is true. You are faithful to your word. I'm not going to waver. I'm going to stand in faith. Let's pray. Lord, I... It's just so much more in awe of you every time I look at the details that you work out, the things you accomplish. When we think of the plan of salvation, you coming to earth as a child to die on a cross in our place that we might be redeemed, that we might be back in relationship with you, it blows our mind. The love that that would motivate such a sacrifice that you freely give to us as your children. What an amazing love. Lord, I pray that in the days and weeks as we move on in our lives, God, those things, those realities become greater and greater in our lives. God, that we know you better, that there's a desire to know you better. God, that we understand and receive your love. God, that, that we can be the light to the world around us as your light shines through us. Lord, we we face a new year on a calendar. Just such an insignificant day in the eternity of time. But for each of us, it can be a new day, a new year, a new opportunity. Lord, I pray we look at it in that way. That it's another opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to be different tomorrow than I am today. I'm going to seek you more. I'm going to live my life to bring you glory and honor in greater and greater ways. I want to know you. I want to humble myself before you. I want to give you control of my life instead of me controlling my life. Lord, I pray that those are the things your Holy Spirit would work in each one of us. God, in this, that you would receive all the glory and honor. Now, Lord, I pray that you would watch over each one of us, that you would bless us, keep us safe, protect us. God, there will still be many people traveling in different directions over this holiday. God, I pray you would watch over us and keep us safe. God, we pray for Liz and Chris and the girls as they prepare for Liz and the girls to go back to New York. 
God, that your abundant grace would overwhelm them as they go. Be with them. Encourage them and strengthen them. We thank you for what you're doing there. Lord, now we just pray that all that's been done here would bring glory to you and everything we do from here on out brings great joy to your heart as our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.